Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hello all, you're listening to Crew in the Air on 3CR 855 AM. I'm Frank and I'll be your host for today. So before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which we transmit people-powered radio. Sovereignty was never ceded. So today I'll be interviewing one of my close friends and comic book slash filmmaker extraordinaire, David Mailer, and they're in the studio with me right now. How's it going, David? Yeah, going well, Frank. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Cool. So we will get to that interview right after this. Today's guest is a comic creator who has done comics such as Coracle, Food Magic, Deep Park, Elements and Tear Garden and has also been published in the Suburban Review, Entropy Magazine, The Lifted Brow, among many others. They have also done some short films to cr- and some other film-related stuff to critical acclaim. So please welcome David Mailer onto the show. David, how's it going? Yeah, going really well. Going well. Awesome. Cool. So, David, uh, tell us something about yourself and how you got started in art in general. Um, I guess art started back in school. Um, my older sister was a big inspiration to me. Um, she kind of got me drawing and painting, exploring all that. Uh, when I was a kid, I was reading a lot of superhero comics and that moved into, um, manga and then also alternative stuff like Dan Klaus, um, Charles Burns, all the classic alternative underground stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then I started drawing my own when I was pretty young and got a bit serious about it when I was older and realized that zines were a thing and you could kind of put out your own mini comics. So, Awesome. Cool. So, um, yeah, you've, you've definitely worked in many mediums. Uh, so would it be fair to say that comics are your favorite medium of choice? Um, it's hard to say. Um, I love comics. I could never stop drawing comics. Um, mm. But I feel I have a pretty specific and kind of not limited audience, but smaller audience than, say, filmmaking. Um, which is just a bit more of a lazier medium for the audience, you know? You kind of just sit back and absorb it. Um, comics are a huge passion of mine, though, for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Um, yeah, like, um, I remember I remember seeing your comics around, um, I think it was around 2013. I remember um, Simon Hanselman reblogged them a lot on Tumblr, and that was kind of how I was uh, first aware of them. And, um, yeah, I've, I just really like the, the style you've done. It's funny you mentioned um, the manga, manga, you like manga because I can really see the manga influence, particularly in the eyes in some of your in some of your art, um, and just some of the the colors which um, just seem like really watercolory. I really enjoy that. Um, yeah. So um, what I guess what has inspired this style? I'm gonna ask the dreaded like you know where do you get your ideas from? Question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, style. My style changed a lot over the years. Um, just trying to find my feet kind of thing. So when I was younger, I would just straight rip off my favorite artists. And a lot of that was manga. So I was reading like a lot of more kid-directed stuff, like uh, Sergeant Frog was a really mm. uh, favorite one of mine, really silly kind of stuff. Um, so I was kind of merging that with some of the Franco-Belgian comics I read when I was growing up in Belgium. Uh, it was like Tintin and Quick and Fluke and stuff. And... Um, yeah, just trying to get this like really animated and really dynamic. Um, actually, those that style of Franco-Belgian comics is called uh, comic dynamique. Oh. So um, it's like lots of yeah expression, big movement. Um, 
So I started exploring that and then tried to shift more into really R. Crumb influenced, heavy, lots of sketching, lots of lines, really cluttered and busy panels. Mm -hmm. um, and once I reached an extreme with that, it was kind of, you know, time to pull it back. And these days I'm really trying to get back to um, a really simple line. Um, just to call out a local artist, Leonie Braley is a big mm. inspiration to me these days because she uses like one line and depicts so much emotion in it. Um, so I'm trying to find a balance between that, I guess, and the more, let's say, like Ron Rigi Jr., um, explosive... Um, you know, really intricate compositions. He does a lot of mystical stuff as well with symbols. So um, as for the coloring, though, that has only come about recently. I never used to color my work. Mm. Um, and then I started playing around with risograph machines through Sam Emery, who runs oh, Tree yeah. Paper Comics. Yeah, uh, he's a legend. And hmm. um, I did a little residency there and learned about the layering process. So these days I color all my work by uh, doing three layers of pencil shading. And in Photoshop, I switch each layer to a different color, red, yellow, blue. And when you change the opacity and put them on top of one another, it creates this really, I don't know, interesting kind of feel. So I'm just playing around with that. It's kind of like offset printing, but in a digital way. Okay, nice. Cool. Yeah. Um, I, I guess, yeah, one of the other things that I kind of notice is that there's a lot of like plants, a lot of like flora and fauna in, in your comics. Um, I, I do remember one of the comics. Uh, I it might have been Coracle, might have been, uh, might have been the one you did about New York and NYNY, but it was sort of like, sort of critical of like the industrial design sort of taking over the planet. And, you know, I think in like the recent news that's been happening with climate change, I feel like it's more relevant than ever. Like, um, is, is this like a, this the main theme of your comics? Like the whole environmentally concerned kind of, um, kind of, uh, theme or like, do you explore other themes? Mm. Um, environmentalism is a really big uh, kind of theme in my work for sure. Um, but it's all kind of related to uh, something a bit broader, I guess, about humans, human connection, um, and this idea that, you know, we're, we're part of the earth. Um, just to get off on like, a, you know, an astral plane here, but mm. a lot of people, you know, people anthropomorphize God and say that there's this like man up there controlling stuff. But when you think about it, you know, the world is kind of God. It does everything that this is meant to do. And um, we kind of neglect that. And we say that the world is this strange rock that we happen to find ourselves on, but it's not like our entire history stems from the earth and we mm. need to protect it because it is us. Yeah. So I guess I'm trying to, um, just trying to hit home in my comics that you need to kind of be aware um, of this interconnectedness, I suppose. Yeah, they're inseparable. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree, agree with that. Like, um, yeah, I guess um, I sort of I sort of do that with some, some of my comics. I'm um, not with, with all of them, but sort of like the whole, like, you know, us all being interconnected in mm. some way and sort of those those connections and, you know, that's the word. You got some real connections in your comics as well, and people finding each other and coming together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, like yeah. One, of, I mean, I don't want to talk about my own stuff a lot. Um, we're here to interview you, but um, yeah, I the latest comic that I'm doing is sort of set in like out of out of space, but it's got sort of like those kind of themes in it. So, um, what I'm trying to say is, I completely relate to what you're doing. Totally, <laughs> totally. They're human concerns. Yeah. Cool. Um, so yeah, you've you've done so many comics, like just like a powerhouse of comic creating. 
um, you know, one only has to look at your online store and find like the cascade of um, comics uh, that you can find. Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, another dreaded question. Is there a favorite of the comics that you've done? Um, <laughs> God, I don't know if I like any of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, yeah, I can relate to that too. Yeah, it's <laughs> no, I mean, I love your stuff, but just my own stuff that, yeah. Every artist feels that way, yeah. Mm. I don't know, I definitely feel I'm more of a quantity over quality kind of guy. Um, it's really like thrown at the wall, seeing what sticks. Mm. Um, every now and then something does. I've done a few things I'm proud of. Um, but just off the top of my head, two that come to mind. One is my first book, uh, Deep Park, that was mm. put out through Picatia Press. Yeah, um, I was really proud of that. That was um, a tight deadline. Um, did that whole book in a few months. I think it was like 60 pages. Um, but I felt the pressure of a publisher, and I think that resulted in a story that kind of still holds up today. Um, it got some good press in the U.S., and um, I was happy with that. Um, and then the other one is the most recent comic that I've finished. It's called uh, Tear Garden. Mm. Um, so this was created for a Canadian um, queer anthology. Um, just to drop the name, it's called uh, Rainbow Reflections, mm -hmm. uh, Body Image Comics for Queer Men. So it's coming out later in the year by Ad Astra Comics. Um, Phil Joy's the editor. It's a book about, um, yeah, men's body image, basically. So... I had this experience when I was living in Berlin last year where I was body shamed while nude sunbathing. Oh. Yeah, it was super, it was, looking back, it's hilarious, but at the time yeah. it's a bit confronting. Um, but I went away and talked with a lover about it and we kind of just back and forth, devil's advocated, and it resulted in this four-page comic that kind of points out the hypocrisy in gay men who are like, oh, I don't want to sit next to that guy. Like, he's overweight. And then mm. he points out your weight and you're like, oh my God, what a bitch. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know? So mm. I think the complexity I managed to get in the four pages with the help of Phil, the editor, um, I'm really happy with that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, <laughs> the, I mean, yeah, it's, um, I guess like with, with one of the things you mentioned with the, um, like just the idea of like quantity over quality and just sort of like throwing throwing stuff on the wall and seeing what sticks like i can i can understand that like i mean it's it's cool to see people like sort of work meticulously on a project and like sort of seeing that come to fruition but i think there's something to be said for just like just like sort of expressing yourself like you have an idea like the idea of an, an instant comic you know so to speak and it doesn't have to be like even it doesn't have to be particularly well polished or there and there can be flaws but i just like that idea you know just being able to sort of like express yourself and it's like oh i've got an idea for a comic i'm just gonna go out and do it i really really like that mm -hmm. yeah and uh, yeah the other thing with the um yeah the overweight thing yeah it's like i'm i'm not i'm not male i'm non-binary but i can understand like you know like you know feeling overweight and sort of like the body you know just the idea of like you know having having the like a body that sort of conforms to western society's standards and even you'd think that you know the queer community would be free from that and there are places that are but unfortunately it is still around which is a bit frustrating mm. so yeah. i mean i feel a lot more at home in the queer community mm. than i did when I was identifying as gay. So I don't really use that label anymore just because I feel it brings uh, a lot to the table. Okay. It kind of has its own, um, this is my personal opinion. Mm -hmm. um, it, I feel that labels like gay have uh, a lot of history and a lot of baggage and a lot of assumptions about them. Um, but, you know, when I'm around my queer friends, it's just you, you can be who you are. Yeah, you don't definitely. need to identify and that's really liberating. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm of the opinion that people can sort of like identify however they 
they want i I believe as long as whatever they're they're comfortable with and if that does include no labels you know i think that's okay Mm. so yeah um so 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 yeah um i mean i guess speaking of that of those kind of issues um so how does like how does that influence the kind of art that you make Mm. i mean these kind of issues are only coming into my work recently um i also into my film writing quite a bit I, I guess I had the last few years, let's say the last like four or five years, I was really working in this more mystical space um, or spiritual might be a better word um, and kind of trying to, yeah, like we said, you know, show people that there's this interconnectedness between all conscious beings and these very kind of new age ideas. And of course, no one's a fan of that label. Um, but I feel like, yes, I've kind of um, reached a peak with that, um, which is this book I'm hoping to put out soon. Um, my first full color book called Natural Philosopher. Um, no actual plans to get it out but that's the culmination the kind of collection of all these comics that deal with those kind of themes Mm. um and now i guess ever since i started doing a few activist films like save campbell arcade about the destruction of campbell Mm. arcade where our beloved sticky institute the zine distro lies um since i started making those films and having such a positive response from strangers around the world i realized that it's much better to use art and um yeah, you know, kind of, I don't want to say change the world, but, you know, try. <laughs> mm, yeah, um, yeah, actually, uh, before I go into my next question, I wanted, wanted to ask, you're doing a full-color comic for the first time? You haven't done that before? I've never put out wow. a chunky color comic, yeah, yeah. Oh, I think, yeah, the, the, I think the, you're right. The maximum, uh, it's probably been like six pages in anthologies. Yeah. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, this one's about 200 and something pages. Nice. Okay, yeah, because I, I thought, no, surely you've done a full of comic, but now that I, now that you mention it, yeah, they do some colour, but not at all. Oh, okay. I can't afford colour printing. Yeah, oh, I can, yeah, I, I can understand that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, like, I mean, yeah, sort of speaking about, like, you know, the whole, like, trying to change the world with art, I feel like if you can sort of get to, like, one person and it sort of reaches them, I feel like that's all worth it. I think there's a... There's a quote in the there's a quote in the Quran which was also used in um Miss Marvel the the comic. It's sort of like there's a line where it's like if you destroy one person it's as if you've destroyed all of humanity. If you save one person it's as if you've saved all of humanity. And that's a it's kind of a quote I you know I live or die by. So mm. yeah. That reminds me of the title of Mandy Ord's latest book, When One Person Dies, the Whole World is Over. Yeah. Um. Oh, I love Mandy Ord. Mandy Ord's an mm. amazing artist. Stunning. I mean, you know. I don't think I need to tell you. You know that already. (laughs) (laughs) Stunning, stunning stuff. Yeah, one of the, honestly, one of the best Australian comic artists ever, I reckon. And I don't think you'll find many people who disagree. (laughs) Cool. Um, So, yeah, I guess uh, what kind of, what other art and illustration work do you do? Um, I've done a bit of commercial stuff, album covers and posters. Um, I used to do a fair bit of painting up until maybe six or seven months ago. Um, I had a few painting shows, but they were just really unfulfilling. And also, I was being a very lazy artist. Um, I was trying to get away with very abstract work, you know, you could paint in like a day and, you know, come up with this wonderful story behind it about how it represents this and that. But yeah, at the end of the day, I was looking at them just going like, this isn't, this isn't it. This isn't what you're meant to do. So I've kind of moved away from painting, um, really focusing on storytelling. Yeah. 
I think um, all my passions these days are about trying to give meaning or a message through a story. Um, mm. And if you look at some of my older comics, they were very much the opposite. They were kind of like, these are the ideas we're exploring. Let's talk about them in full. The end. You mm. know, now it's kind of like, oh, these two characters are experiencing um, life and they're humans and hopefully you can relate to them and learn from them. Mm. So that's the goal. Yeah. Cool. So I guess to finish up this uh, this part of the this part of the interview, um, where can we find your comics and illustrations online? And do you have any like comic related events you want to promote here? Mm. Um, I've got a lot of work on my old Tumblr, which I haven't updated for oh, ages now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's David C. Mahler Comics. I have this mm-hmm. terrible habit of making all my URLs like five words long. So <laughs> <laughs> honestly, the best thing to do would be um, to Google David Mahler Comics. Yeah. I've got an Instagram. If you want to hit that up, David underscore C underscore Mahler. Mm-hmm. Uh, update that pretty regularly. Um, books you can buy down in Sticky. Um, uh, they're at a couple other spots around town. Um, you can find them online as well. A lot of my stuff is online for free. Yeah. yeah. So this time we're going to be focusing on their film work. So, um, yeah, I guess we'll start by just saying, how did you become involved with film and video in general? Oh, um, in general, I think that would have started, yeah, when I was a kid, um, my cousin Jess and I, we just make some silly films by ourselves, uh, you know, like, we did a King Kong remake, which was absolutely stunning. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of just got it, um, you know, the interest in editing going, and um, I was reading comics by then, so visual language was, um, I was starting to understand how to, yeah, tell a story visually. And then through high school, just explored a bit more of media class and everything. And uh, that led me to uh, the VCA, where I studied film and television. And yeah, the rest is history. <laughs> That's amazing. That's like the opposite of my direction. Because um, like I started out with film and then got into comics. And I, too, am from the VCA. So yeah, um, VCA buddies. There you yeah. go. <laughs> um, <laughs> So yeah, it's it's amazing, but um yeah, there's like that um there's like this yeah li- link between film and and comics because obviously they're visual storytelling, so it kind of kind of makes sense. Mm. Um, I guess like like is there like much overlap between like your comics and your films? Do you think like I guess it's cliche to say would you, were your films like co- like co- like comics in video? Is that a fair a, a, a statement to make? Yeah, I mean, back in the day, hundred percent, they were really connected. <clears throat> I was basically um, I was basically drawing storyboards when I was making comics, um, and then started reading a bit more, like you know Frank Santoro and um, oh, who's the guy who did um, is it Zap? Not Zap, no. Um, you know the quintessential, quintessential comic scholar guy who did all those books on how to read a comic. And- oh, Scott McCloud. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I read a Scott McCloud and everything changed. It was like, okay, so comics are their own unique thing. Um, how can we move towards like Chris Ware's, Ware territory and create something that can only be experienced as a comic? Mm. Uh, I think Spiegelman was doing some stuff back in the day as well. And um, yeah, once I kind of had my eyes open and realized that comics should be respected as comics, um, that's when they started to take different routes. Um, but in saying that, I definitely have made a couple short films based on my own comics, using them as source material. Um, at the end of the day, though, it all starts with the story. 
Yeah, and the story kind of dictates. Okay, this needs to go. Uh, this needs to be a comic because we're going to have like omniscient narration, or this needs to be a film because I need specific glances that you can't get in comics. Yeah, and that kind of dictates. Hmm. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I kind of yeah, I kind of agree with that. Like, I think because because when I was sort of getting into comics through film, um, I mean, I kind of started just like copying like the comics that I was interested in and that kind of didn't really work. Like, I mean, to be honest, I came out pretty crappy, but, um, but when I, you know, when I was sort of thinking back to my film studies, I kind of tried to do it like it was like I was making a film and it kind of worked a bit more, but I think as I was going for, like you said, sort of like trying to do things that you couldn't do in film form. Hmm. Um, yeah. So, so I, I can understand that. Um, you've got a big film influence as well though, like yeah. horror movies, old mm. sci-fi. Yeah. And, like, that's it. Like, the visual storytelling is so interconnected that you can digest one and reinterpret it in mm. the other. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, what, I mean, I guess what are some of the themes in your films? I guess are they, are they similar to the themes in, in your comics? Mm. I think they're pretty different. <clears throat> um, I noticed this kind of trend in my films. I only realized after university. Um, basically, every... I think actually every film I made at uni, not only my end of year films, but also the practice films, um, they were all about uh, a single character who is trapped in a situation and has to do something dramatic to escape. And, um, you know, did that one was, um, one was uh, this guy who's in a BDSM relationship with an older mistress and mm. um, he can't leave an apartment. And then he has to like, do this dramatic thing that allows him to kind of like be free and then another one was this king in this kingdom that he hates and he has to like destroy the kingdom and run away by himself to be free and these themes like just kept coming up in my films um and once i was kind of made aware of that i tried to go in different directions um i think those were very personal stories um being someone of alternate gender slash sexuality um being someone from a different country in a new country uh, I think those are kind of subliminal, subliminally affecting my stories. Mm. Um, so these days I kind of save comics for the more, um, yeah, I don't know. I, like we said before, I'm kind of changing a bit in terms of comics direction, but comics were always this outlet of um, ideas and thoughts and realizations I had, whereas films were a story with an inherent meaning, like one specific logline that was trying to come through the dialogue, the action. Um, I'd say now my themes are a lot more interconnected just in terms of going ahead. I'm working on, uh, a new comic, um, it's basically, I'd say it's a gay comic. It's about a gay love story. Um, and it's actually an adaptation of an abandoned film project called Christopher the Great. So nowadays, yeah, they're very much more interconnected. Yeah. Cool. Um, so yeah, I noticed that, um, I think you're involved with a web series called Salvation Comes. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. T tell us something about that. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm really excited about this one. Um, <clears throat> an old collaborator and I shot this film. Well, it was originally going to be a feature film. It's a mystery thriller set in uh, an abandoned mansion. And these three members of a cult, we never see their leaders. We just see the three cult members. Um, they're given a gift early in the film. We don't see what it is, but it slowly drives them insane. Um, so just a little spoiler, um, this object they're given is representative of, say, the Bible, the Word of mm. God, law, and it's about how humans kind of like manipulate these things for our own purposes. 
and it ends with a very horrific climax. Um, let's just say uh, human sacrifice is involved. And, uh, but yeah, this web series, uh, it's now a web series. Um, after a couple of years of editing, I was very unsatisfied with where it was at. Um, but then I kind of realized a uh, new direction uh, would kind of revitalize it. So I think a year after we did some reshoots, um, now it's been cut into a four episode miniseries and it's just doing festivals at the moment. So it's uh, played for, it's been up for a couple of awards. Uh, big shout out to Rachel Besslink, who's the uh, lead performer and also Francesca Waters and Lee Mason. They're incredible, incredible actors and they deserve all the praise they're getting. Um, that should be online, uh, hopefully end of this year, start of next year. It's just got a few more festivals to go through. Cool. Awesome. Um, yeah, you were, you were mentioning um, in the in the previous part of the interview that um, there was the, the documentary about saving the, the Campbell Arcade and, and also in particular um, the Sticky Institute, um, which I've mentioned like many, many times on this show. I've done interviews with them. Um, so how, how did that come about? Um, I think Luke from Sticky approached me originally. Um, yeah, he was offering a bit of money to make this documentary and I said like, I obviously cannot take money from you guys. Like I've been hanging out here since I was 15 years old. Like you guys are my family. Um, we need to save you. And mm, so yeah. many people end up coming on board and showing their support for this. Um, you know, we had comic artists like Tommy PG, who's now in Canada. Mm. Um, they recorded a piece, which unfortunately, because um, of uh, time restrictions, couldn't be in the end film. But just people around the world. Um, this this. Um, a professor in Utrecht in the Netherlands, you know, she filmed an interview as well. And all these people came together to make this wonderful little documentary. Um, talking about not only Sticky, that was kind of the focus for sure, uh, but also talking about the other businesses down in the arcade. So for those who don't know the story, um, when the new metro, metro tunnel uh, was kind of just starting, it became aware to Sticky and all the other tenants down in Campbell Arcade, which connects Flinders Street Station. It's the underpass that goes up to Grave Street. Mm. All those people were going to be evicted. Uh, they'd been given very short notice. Um, it was a bit of a screw around by the city government, just throwing that out there. City of Melbourne does some incredible things, but the people involved with this project, unfortunately, were not considering the heritage listings. They're kind of, you know, using money to get around a lot of laws that were in place. And we wanted to show people the truth. And we did, got a lot of uh, support, a bit of press. Mm -hmm. And the result was that um, these tenants, Sticky in particular, have been given a bit more support by the city government. So it's not the perfect outcome. Um, unfortunately, the Heritage List Arcade is still going to be demolished for the Metro Tunnel. Yeah. But um, we're happier than we were. Yeah. Okay, that's that's definitely good. Like, yeah, the, the Sticky Institute's just uh, a really important place. I think I think it's fair to say that like a lot of people that have are doing zines in this country, but in particular Melbourne, um, you know, you know, definitely um, got their start at Sticky, even if it was just like just coming to visit and seeing the various um, various scenes there. So, so yeah, like I think anything to sort of like support that cause is definitely welcome. Yeah. Um. So I guess like. Uh, how many how many films have you how, how many films have you done and I guess um, is it I guess it's a is it comparable to your comics comics work? Not at all. Um, filmmaking is a horrible, painful endeavor <laughs> that I highly <laughs> encourage everyone to try. 
Um, it takes so much work. It's a rich man's game, and um, unfortunately, I'm not as rich as I want to be. Yep. Um, no, <laughs> no, but really, you do need to get um, a lot of people involved with filmmaking. Um, I've made a few films just by myself. So let's say, all right, after university, um, I've made maybe uh, three short films. Um, Salvation Comes, that web series. A second web series called Destroy the Altar, which was half filmed here in Melbourne and half in Kyoto in Japan. It's about a comic artist, so that's going to be coming out later this year as well. Please keep an eye out. Um, and then there was also Christopher the Great, which was meant to be a feature film. Uh, ended mm. up being cut into a four-part web series before we abandoned it earlier this year, um, just because of quality issues. That was a real shame. That was a lot of money. Not down the drain, a lot was learned. Mm. Um, and like I said, that's now going to be the basis for my next comic book. Um, so all up, not that many films, not including music videos, of course. Um, there was another film, actually, just speaking of abandoned projects, um, I was working on a documentary over the past five years interviewing gay men in China. Um, can I ramble about this for a sec? Yeah, of course you can. We've got plenty of time. <laughs> Super. I was um, I was doing a documentary filmmaking residency in this uh, city called Suzhou in China. Uh, this is my last year of uni. And young and naive, I decided to go off the grid, you know, didn't tell any of the um, translators or people involved. I set up some uh, profiles on Chinese gay dating apps. And I said, hey, I'm an Australian filmmaker who, if you want to like, be part of this documentary I'm making about what it's life, what it's like to be a gay man in China. Hit me up. End up interviewing maybe ten or fifteen guys, uh, which was so encouraging, and they had, all had so much to say. Mind you, this was about five years ago. Things have changed a fair bit, um, but the main kind of takeaway was like there isn't so much condemnation, especially from a religious point of view in China. It was more society expects you to, um, you know, grow up and get married and support your parents. Um, so all these men were just saying, like, we want to bring awareness to the fact that we're here. We feel invisible and we want to show that we're able to, like, you know, we want to live our lives. And unfortunately, after years of editing and re-editing, re-editing and, uh, and animating as well, it was going to be a pencil animated, um, rotoscope animated uh, short film. Um, I got in contact with a the largest uh, LGBT group in Beijing, and they had some thoughts to say about it, about what the men were saying, in particular things like um, how if you go to a sauna in Shanghai, it's just full of married men who are there to have sex with other men. Mm -hmm. um, they were very uncomfortable about what was being expressed, and they didn't think it was a good idea to share this. So um, yeah, unfortunately, after five years, it was time to shelve that. It was uh, frustrating. We were just on the just about to launch a crowdfunding campaign, had wonderful artists involved on the reward side, editor, producer. And uh, yeah, it was a real shame to see that kind of like go up and smoke. Mm. But that happens. That's filmmaking. Time, yeah, time and money um, for potentially no reward. Dang. Um, does, it does sound like a really interesting topic, though. I mm. definitely would have loved to see that. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's funny you mentioned animation. That was actually going to be my next question like you know because you do comics and you know it's sort of like drawing and illustration in particular so um i was just wondering do you do a lot of animation work mm. um so i started as an animator before i was making films oh well, kind of you know i was making those fun little films with little handy cams yeah um but i didn't have the uh quality that i wanted i didn't have any cameras or sound gear when i was in high school so i started animating and i really got interested in rotoscoping mm. 
which is like you know the aha video Oh, where yeah. everyone's like pencil animated dancing around having yeah. a good time. So that's rotoscoping. You're effectively tracing uh, live action footage, but mm. you can add your own flair to it, and uh, you can make it really artistic. It's really, um, it's a really fun way to start animating because it's achievable, you know. Mm. So um, I started doing that. I did my first music video when I was 16 for this Norwegian group called Firefly Effect. Big shout out. And um, since then, I uh, got a few music video jobs. So I was working as an animator for about uh, 10 years. I guess I technically still am. Um, but honestly, it is the, it's the one thing that drives me mental. It is so time-consuming. It is so meticulous. It's back-breaking, heart-breaking, mind-breaking work. Um, God, need a team one day. Yeah, I, I, every single point you made, I was like, yep. Oh, yep, arrow yep. in the heart. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, yeah. Like, um, it's it's just very it's very time consuming. I think that's kind of why I got into um, got into comics because I was an animator too. And um, yeah, I'm I'm telling you, if 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 I if I stuck as an animator, I'd probably still be working on my first short film now to this day. That's the thing, that's the thing, and and that's when you translate it to comics, you're effectively just drawing the keyframes mm, yeah yeah absolutely silhouettes. yeah you don't need the in-betweens mm. screw that <laughs> yeah it's um yeah it's it's kind of interesting though like you can do like sort of sort of like comics that have like animation tricks like you can do stuff that looks almost like a flip book because you kind of have like one image and it only sort of moves like a little bit each time so it kind of feels like it's animation in a way although definitely not as much work as animation would be um but yeah well, yeah because um Yes, uh, I, I've always just felt your style really could really translates well into animation. So I've always always curious about that. Mm. Yeah, um, sorry, what were you, what were you gonna say? I was just gonna say like um, like a style of comics I really like um are when and this is something you can only do in comics really. You know, like have someone's head facing forward and in the same panel, basically drawn on top of that head is the same head facing, let's say, sideways. You know, and it's showing two moments of action at the same time, simultaneously on top of each other. Mm. That, for me, is a lot more exciting than just having a realistic person, animated person, walking around in a frame. Mm. You know, that kind of, that fusion of animation and comics is really exciting. Mm, yeah, definitely. Um, so, with some of these films, um, like, have, you, have they been screened at a lot of festivals, is it, or is it mostly just online? Um, no, my, my last short, um, an animated short film... Uh, it's called One Day My Waste Will Consume My Home. It's the final film in that uh, that that theme I yeah. was talking about of people trapped and having to do things to escape. Mm. This is the last one where I was like, done, this is get out of my system. So uh, this film played at maybe, I think, eight festivals. And I'm just waiting to hear back from another five or six. Um, once that's done, it's going to head online. Um, basically... You know, you have to think a bit commercial as well, especially coming from film school where you realize the competition and the huge uphill battle that you've got as a filmmaker. Um, I try to submit all my films to festivals now, give them a year mm. to kind of play out. The goal, let's be real, the goal is just to get that pretty laurel on your poster. Mm, yeah, Screen at this random festival in Croatia that literally mm. no one has heard of, including the citizens of Croatia. You know? <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's mm. all marketing. Yeah, like even if you just like even if it's like at um, uh, Wangaratta or something like that, you know, I love Wangaratta, but like even just that, like just having that little screen there makes a lot of difference, mm. you know. Like um, it's even like um, 
like when you're you know when you're distrib- you were there when you're submitting comics like various publications and some are like you know pretty big and you want to get into those but then there's the really small ones um which you know no one's really heard of but it's still something you can say you know and in in a process i feel like you're kind of supporting the smaller publications and the smaller festivals as well because you're sort of giving them material to screen because like i think everyone needs to a, a leg up at some point like you know you know Khan's didn't just start out massive i'm sure it had to start somewhere so yeah totally you're so right mm. i suppose the one difference between let's say comic anthologies and um small festivals um comic anthologies you always that you'll always submit to those like you're totally right those people are trying hard to create something out of love mm. um festivals are a bit different i've found over the years oh right okay there tends to be two types there's the ones who are doing it for the love and you just feel it straight away when you read the description you're like oh yeah these people are fantastic then there's the other one that's like you know fifty dollars to enter just to submit your film this is common this is common yeah so you pay fifty dollars as the artist they end up choosing like five films that surely have some connection and the whole goal of that type of festival is for the organizers to make money. Fair enough. We all got to make money. We yeah. all got to live in this capitalist society. I get it. But it, I think it's just unfair to ask up-and-coming, struggling artists to pitch like 50 bucks. That's honestly my beef with the Melbourne International Film Festival. They have some of the highest entry fees for any festival in the world. Mm. In the world. It's more than Cannes, more than Venice, more than Berlin. Yeah, they're one of the best festivals in the world, without a doubt. MIF is amazing. They program fantastic films. But if you want to get in as a filmmaker, man, mortgage your house. Like, yeah, uncouth. <laughs> you can't see that. You obviously you can't see this on air, but I'm got a big grimace on my face just listening to this. <laughs> like, oh god. Um, but yeah, but it, I mean, it just shows you like all the more importance to support the smaller festivals and help totally. them go up on the ground. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, so just to finish up, uh, where can we f- like can we find links to your films online? Uh, I guess do you have any events to promote in that kind of doesn't have to be film; it can be comics as well. Just just anything. Totally. Um, so if you want to find any of my films, uh, I do have a Vimeo page. I've got two. One's personal, so uh, some more experiments and behind the scenes stuff. I think that's just David Mahler. Um, David Mahler Vimeo. Look that up on Google. You'll mm-hmm. find it. The other one is um, my production company, which is literally me and uh, a Photoshop logo. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's called Studio Rin, R-I-N. Um, there's a website. There's also a Instagram, and that's for more of the, um, you know, uh, films that are playing at festivals or bigger budget films that we're actually trying to sell. Um, so, yeah, you can check those out, Dave Mahler and Studio Rin. Um, one really cool thing that's coming up, we mentioned it before, it's this comic anthology being put out by Ad Astra Comics in Canada. Um, it's called Rainbow Reflections, Body Image Comics for Queer Men. Uh, it's going to be a really fantastic book. Um, I cannot wait to get my hands on a proof. So keep an eye out for that later in the year. Um, back to film, if you happen to be going to Florida, I've got a projection piece called Cosmic Echo Playing. Um, that's happening for Digital Graffiti, a festival in, uh, in Alice Beach. I think that's in May. And oh, I probably should check that. Yeah, May 17th, 18th in Florida. Um, and then, yeah, keep an eye out for Salvation Comes. That's going to be playing a few festivals around the world this year. Um, that's about it. No new comics coming out to at least next year, I reckon, unfortunately. It's time to lock myself inside and pump out some pages. 
Awesome. Great stuff. Um, yeah, thank you so much, David, for being on Crew in the Air. You've been an absolute delight. It's been a lot of fun, Frank. Thank you. Awesome. Cool. So, we will be back to finish up the show with some upcoming events, so stay tuned. So, we've got some events to promote just to finish up the show. So, the first event we have to promote is the Cyano, uh, excuse me, Cyanotype, I hope I've pronounced that correctly, printing workshop by Queerspace Goof on the 17th of May. So, Queerspace Youth is an organization that aims to provide a safe space for people who identify as queer. And the local artist, Ansem Farag, is holding a workshop to make cyanotype prints, and which, to my understanding, are kind of a, a, a cyan blue photographic print, I guess similar to Rizograph, if, if you're familiar with that, which can be done with using drawings or everyday objects. So, yeah, it just, just sounds like a lot of fun. Um, so if you're interested, uh, go to Yarra Youth Services at 156 Napier Street, Fitzroy, on the 17th of May from 2pm to 5pm. That was the Cyanotype Printing Workshop by Queer Space Youth. Uh, also next Sunday, the 5th of May, are the Gay Stuff Markets that are run by Hairs Hyenas, which is a fabulous uh, bookstore in Fitzroy that has stocked a few of my books in the past. So this is the 20th market that they've held, and it features a whole bunch of items on sale by Melbourne's queer art community. Um, and I should also probably point out that the online distributor of my comics, Seeing Gang Distro, will also be there. They will be, have a table run by Mal Breeder, a good friend of mine. And so my books will definitely be on that table, as well as from Emily Never, who was a guest on the show last year, and a whole bunch of other really talented artists. So, yeah. So to go to that, it starts at 1pm at 63 Johnson Street, Fitzroy, and ends at about 5 p.m. So all you've got to do is just take the 86, uh, get off at Johnson Street and just walk towards uh, walk towards Brunswick Street and you'll find it. So come on down and support some great queer artists. So sadly, we have come to the end of another show. Parting is such sweet sorrow. Uh, you can find previous episodes of Crew in the Air on the FreeCR website. That is freecr.org.au and you can like and follow us on Facebook for more updates. And while you're at it, do subscribe to FreeCR if you haven't done already. You can come into the studio during office hours. Uh, you can do it by post, uh, by phone, or online at the FreeCR website. It's $35 concession and $75 wage. So do yourself a favour and support community radio. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.